Father, we do come before you and praise you and thank you for this uh, day and this time that we can corporately come together and worship you and praise you and sing your praises, sing unto you, Lord God. I do pray for anyone who here today who wasn't singing unto you, whose heart isn't right, Lord God, who hasn't come to know you yet, that today would be the day of salvation and that you would change their hearts, that they would be saved and they would so desire to sing your praises. And as we come together and sing them together, Lord God, I just pray that you'd be glorified. And and now as we come and praise you with your word declared, I pray that you'd be magnified in that also. Take your word and instruct us and use it to bring about that which is pleasing to you through your son, by your spirit. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, when the world looks at Christians who are truly sold out for Christ, they often see from their perspective a wasted life. A life that's full of suffering, a life full of difficulty, a life spent focused on the things of Christ rather than the fun things of this earth, a waste of money, a waste of time in church, a waste of time singing, whatever it might be, a waste of time in Bible studies, a waste of time serving other believers. And there are so many things I could share that the world might look at true believers who are sought to Christ and say, wow, these guys are wasting their lives. And folks, if what the non-believers thought uh, would be absolutely true if it were not for the Word of God being true. You see, God's Word gives us the big picture, gives us the truth of what is really going on. You see, we know from God's word that this life is not it. It's temporal. That there are the sufferings for the glories to follow. That there is the cross before the crown. There are the temporal temporal sorrow, even with joy, but everlasting joy. And although we know this, we still must make the day-to-day decision as believers to choose to apply these truths by faith to how we spend our lives. The world would say you spent your life on foolishness, but the scriptures reveal it's exactly the opposite. If we choose to live our lives for Christ alone, yes, we may have some sorrow and difficulty and temporal sufferings, but there are, as we've seen and will see, the eternal glories to follow. And yet, as believers, we can choose to live a little bit for the Lord or a lot for the Lord, And if we choose to live a little for the Lord, we will receive little in eternity. But if we choose to live in light of the temporal realities, in light of eternity, to be obedient and follow Christ, then and only then will we experience true joy in this life and exceeding everlasting joy in the one to come. So with this in mind, and I've already given part of it away, how can we find true joy? Today we're going to look at Paul's Example of a life well spent. A life well spent. And we're going to see that true joy is given or is found in in giving our lives over to Christ for one another, just as Christ did for us. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and you have in the New Testament Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we are in our study of the book of Philippians, and it is about 62 A.D., and the Apostle Paul is writing the Philippian church, those believers, those saints, including overseers and deacons, and he is under house arrest in Rome, and he is about to go before Caesar, and the physical reality is that he could live or die. He is very close to the Philippians. Ten years before, he had shared the gospel, and the church began out of the truth of Christ uh, concerning what he did for us on the cross. And the church in Philippi began... And Paul revealed in the earlier portion of this letter his thankfulness for God's work in true believers. His thankfulness and his uh, within that that God had worked in their lives and he would definitely complete the work that he began, that he started. And then he prayed for these believers that the love of Christ would abound in true knowledge and discernment, all discernment, that they would approve the excellent things. They'd make right choices in Christ That would glorify God. And Paul shared with the dear Philippians his current circumstances that his imprisonment has turned out for the greater progress and spread of the gospel. And so he rejoiced. 
And he knew that Christ, no matter what happened, would be magnified in his life, whether he lived or died, to live as Christ, to die as gain. And at this point, he turned to the Philippian circumstances in the end of chapter 1 and encouraged them to walk as heavenly citizens, worthy of the gospel of Christ, in a manner worthy, to stand firm and strive together against the opposition knowing that it is a sign and not being afraid that it's a sign that those who oppose Christ and thus his people are on their way to destruction and those in Christ are on their way to glory. And then we saw how to maintain unity in the body of Christ by thinking like Christ and how that looks in practice. That we're to do nothing from selfishness or, or empty conceit, but we're to regard others as supreme above ourselves. We are to be scoping out ways to look to regard them as more important. And then we saw how this can only be done. It's only when the believer in Christ manifests the mind of Christ revealed in the word of God. It's only when we think like Christ, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, we can consider others as more important than ourselves. And we see the certain, the, the, the perfect example of selfless humility, Christ, who, who took on human flesh. He became a servant. And he obeyed, he was, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him that name which is above every name, is that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And then we saw the implications for every true believer in chapter 2 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we saw in context the idea of working out speaks of obedience in the context of a real relationship with Jesus, where his word is working in our hearts. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to respectfully and fear the Lord and fear the prospect of sinning against him and walk differently than we did before we were uh, saved. Because God is at work in us. He is working in us. We are to work out what he is working in us. You see, true faith will work. And then we saw in the last few weeks that the first direct application for the body of Christ was to do everything without, or all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing and arguing. Everything, not one area in our lives are we given the freedom as believers to grumble and complain, to dispute and argue. And we saw the, the horrible examples from the Old Testament that are instruction for us that we would not crave evil things. And we saw the purpose, the temporal purpose, because we shine as lights in a dark world. And we saw that eternal purpose, that as we hold fast the word of God, not complaining and arguing, renewing our hearts and minds, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, that when we do this by faith, obeying him, it's going to result in eternal glory for Christ. And the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that his work in sharing the word with the Philippians would not be in vain, but on that day, the day of Christ, he would be able to glory and praise God for what God had done through him. You see, and I believe it's every true shepherd's desire that you don't just listen and walk away, but that your hearts are changed and that you become more like Christ and therefore you will glorify him even more for eternity. And in that day, it will actually show where your heart really was, whether the preaching and teaching was in vain or not. And Paul didn't want that to happen. It's from this point we come to our passage where we're going to see some examples of true, genuine faith, examples of the mind of Christ, examples of true believers that we should follow. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We don't follow man for man's sake. We follow those who are sold out to Christ and we look at their examples of faith in Jesus and we are to mimic and imitate those truths as we trust Jesus. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 17 and 18. Now I want to read back to verse 12 up to our passage where we are because it's all connected together as I've shared in the last few weeks. So then my beloved, verse 12 of chapter 2, just as you have always obeyed. Hey, you're true believers. You're obeying God. Not perfectly, but you obey, right? Believers obey the Lord. They've always been not only my, in my presence, only now But now, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling 
or disputing. That ye may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You luminaries, that's the term, stars in a sense. You shine on this earth like, they, like the stars shine in heaven. There's such a difference between Christ's righteousness in you versus the wickedness of those who are in darkness. And he says here, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Tremendous reality. We saw that last week. Believers, hold fast the word in your hearts. Let it change your behavior. Let it change your attitude so that Christ will be glorified and it will show on that day when God judges believers, not for sin, but for their deeds in the body. And then we have our passage. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, Paul says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you too, I urge you to rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Joy instead of complaining. Joy instead of arguing. Rejoicing over what God is doing rather than complaining over what you think is happening in your life. So we have the reality here of a tremendous passage. Now I think when you when people come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, they don't think in that moment, hey, I want to live a mediocre life for Christ. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, I don't think you thought, hmm, you know what, I just want to live a ho-hum life for Christ. If you genuinely came to faith in Jesus Christ, I believe you may be able to recollect the reality of where your heart was when you came, thankful for forgiveness and willing to do whatever he wanted. That's what happens. But our hearts get dulled by our own desires. Our hearts get dulled. And today I believe some of you are going to be challenged to examine your heart priorities, and all of us will. And today might just be the day that you recognize your life is not fully given over to Christ. And my hope and prayer is that the Lord might use his word to move your heart so that you will choose to live a life well spent, completely devoted to Christ. So with that in mind, let's look at Paul's example of a man who was such. He says here in verse 17, we're going to see Paul willingly poured out the words we're going to see is spendomai. He spent his life. I don't know if the Greek lines up or not, but it sure sounds like it, right? He spent his life, spent his life completely for Christ. He poured it out. Look at verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, that's the Philippians, I, that's Paul, rejoice and share my joy with you all. Now, it sounds like a small passage that would be done pretty quick, but there is some tremendous truth in here that I want to point out. You see, we're going to see that Paul had yielded his life to Christ completely to obediently serve him. Now, let's make some observations about our passage that will help us understand what Paul is saying in this context. Notice verse 17 starts with the word, but... It signifies a contrast. And actually in Greek, there are multiple words that are translated into English, but at times. This one, Allah, is one of the the most intense forms of a contrast. It's often translated, but rather. And it can speak of a contrast, a difference, or a limitation to what has just been said. Contrast, difference, or limitation. And so the idea is, rather than having toiled in vain... If the Philippians did not hold fast the word, but rather or nevertheless from that nevertheless from that hypothetical possibility, Paul moves to the reality of where he is now, to the reality of where he is now, and we're going to see it will that reality and how that will presently affect the Philippians in regards to their joy. But even if I am being poured out, verse seventeen, as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I. Rejoice and share my joy with you all. Now this, this phrase, being poured out as a drink offering, is one word in Greek. I already mentioned it. It's spendo. It comes from the Greek word spendo or spendomai. Even if I'm currently being poured out, ongoing, it's the, there's an ongoing pouring of me out in a sense. He's using an illustration as we'll see. Now, the word spendo spoke of literally pouring out as of liquids, pouring out liquids. 
And if I pour something out, there's a process of it being poured out, and there's a process of it having completely been poured out, right? There's two parts to that. And the picture Paul is painting for these Philippians is one in which the interpreters have, have grasped. And you'll see they use the word drink offering here. They understand he's using an illustration of an Old Testament portion of the sacrifices. More specifically, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, which all pointed to Christ, he's speaking of this process of this burnt offering in which they would have an unblemished animal, one that God prescribed, and they would burn it up completely, and they would add a grain offering. And at the end, they would pour wine over that burnt offering that's complete, and it would vaporize and go up in smoke, and it would be a soothing aroma to the Lord. It was a picture. It was a picture. And the offering was to be completely burned with nothing left. Total sacrifice. Total sacrifice. And the icing on the cake was that wine poured on there that vaporized and the the aroma went up before the Lord. That's the illustration that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a sacrifice and all the parts of it. And he's going to say basically, Philippians, you're the sacrifice, I'm just the icing on the cake to what you are doing in Christ. We're going to see there's a lot of humility in that, in, that, in that statement. So here we have Paul speaking of himself as the finishing touch. It's certainly a picture of the reality of what Christ would do, completely giving his body for us. Completely. And then finishing the job, allowing himself to be delivered up by godless men, according to God's predetermined plan, dying for our sins. It is finished. Fragrant aroma too. To God, what Christ did for us, dying for our sins, a sacrifice. So then Paul is saying here, back in our passage, in contrast to the eternal possibility of running in vain, I preached the word, you didn't respond, you didn't hold it tight, and we'll see that in the day of Christ. May not show now, we'll see it then. In contrast to that hypothetical possibility, he says he is currently, in a reality, being poured, in the process of being poured out as a drink offering. And he's going to say it's on top of the sacrifice and service of your faith. You're the sacrifice and I'm the drink offering. We're doing this together. It's the same offering. It's the same offering. Now, what's interesting here is in our translations, we have the term if. If. If you look at that, he says, but even if I'm being poured out. And in Greek, there are different clauses there are if statements, and if the if statement's with a certain type of verb, it's if and maybe, or if and possibly, whatever it might be. Here it's if and yes, it is true. Some translations will translate it since. Since I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice of your service of faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Now you say, wait a second, I know the Bible here, and I know this drink offering, that's probably speaking of his death, Right? This is 62 A.D., and yet he didn't die till after 64-ish A.D. We know around 64 A.D. We don't. We 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 we. I know that he talks about his being poured out later on in Second Timothy. Turn to Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter four, and this is at the end of Paul's life, a couple years later than this letter here. And he says in chapter four, verse six. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. It's like at that final part of the drink offering. It's being poured, poured, poured. It's all done and poof. The offering is done. Fragrant aroma. He's saying that's my life. It's about done. It's about done. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Here in chapter two or chapter four of Second Timothy, he is speaking of his impending death, that it's about to be done. The glass is about to be completely poured out. So the apostle Paul is speaking of that here. But back in our passage was a couple years earlier. Sir, was Paul thinking he would die immediately? Well, we see earlier in the passage he did mention that he was going to go before Caesar. Basically, implied that. He said, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And it would be much better to go with Christ, chapter 1. The implication is the possibility of Caesar killing him back at this point was, was possible. But remember, Paul had some insight from the Lord that he wasn't going to die yet. 
Not as we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look back in Philippians chapter 1, and I want to read for you. Philippians 1. Philippians 1 verse 19. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Holy of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything. This is verse, the middle of verse 20. But that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. See, he sold out for Christ, by the way. And I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Then notice what he says in verse 25. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He's saying, although I'm about at the point of death, inspired by this word, he doesn't believe he's going to die yet. So what's this drink offering then if it doesn't speak of his death? Well, certainly, I believe it speaks of the, the idea of this sacrifice and the unity in which the Philippian service and Paul's service are together. It certainly is speaking he's towards the end, but it's not completely poured out. He's saying, I'm being poured out. I'm being poured out. He knew he wasn't going to die yet, and when he was going to die, he said, this is it. Now, I'm, now it's happening in Second Timothy chapter 4. So what is he saying? He's not going to die right away, but he uses this term drink offering. Our passage helps us understand it. Back to our passage, chapter 2, verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. He likens the Philippians to the real sacrifice, that, that burnt offering, and his as that finishing touch. That's the point here. What Paul is doing is a finishing touch to what the Philippians are doing. They're the ones doing the ministry, the overseers and the deacons, the saints at Philippi. Paul had equipped them and they were ministering, they were serving Christ and they were suffering, they were sacrificing and serving. And his interaction with them in a humble way, he sees it just as that finishing touch. Very humble from the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say, hey, I did it all, you're all because of me, does he? He doesn't say that at all. I'm the finishing touch on your sacrifice, and your service of faith. So with that in mind, let's take a look at this idea of sacrifice and service because Paul certainly sacrificed and he certainly served and the Philippians were certainly doing that, weren't they? And Paul obediently served Christ in his body. He did. And his body, the body of Christ. You see, Paul had a lot to give up from the world's standpoint before he came to Christ. Saul, the the Pharisee, he had a lot to give up. If you look at chapter 3 of Philippians, turn to chapter 3. He had a lot of stuff. I mean, he he was quite a guy as a Pharisee in a sense. He had a lot of power. He had a lot of influence. And you know what comes with power and influence. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. He says, although I might have confidence in, even in the, even in the, have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Hey, I got all these credentials. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Knowing the real God of the universe, having a relationship with your Savior Jesus Christ, growing in that relationship in which sin and our own pride inhibits he says, more than all that stuff, I count it all as rubbish, as rubbish. But whatever things were gained to me, he says, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes through comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, resurrection power, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect or complete or mature, you could say, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Paul was sold out for Jesus Christ. He was sold out. And you see, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are immediately sold out. It's our sin that gets back in the way, or we don't grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Paul gave up everything to serve Christ, but that giving up was not a phony baloney giving up to look spiritual. It was a giving it up to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in that relationship, to grow in that knowledge. You see, when Jesus calls us out of our sinful state into a relationship with him, it is one in which we are called to serve, as we will say. The Thessalonians knew that, First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9. For they themselves report how, what kind of reception we have with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve, to serve the living and true God. Paul understood we were saved to serve the living God, a good master, one who died for us and gave his life for us and loves us and is the source of true joy. He understood that, that joy is only found in the Lord, as we're going to see. He understood that, and he gave his life to Christ willingly, and Christ took it and changed him, and changed him. We see that change happen on the road to Damascus in Acts 26, where it's recounted. Now, you don't, I'm not going to read that, but you see Jesus comes and, and, and addresses Saul, and he calls Saul out of darkness into light, and he calls him to do the same, to share the message to, that people would be delivered from darkness to light. He commissioned him right there to serve him on the first day of his salvation. When we turn to Jesus, we don't turn to serve ourselves or to fix our lives. We turn, and when he changes our hearts, not someone telling us all about it, but he changes our hearts, then we have a desire, Lord God, what do you want? I'm so thankful for you saving me. What do you want? What do you want? And see, maybe some of you have never truly been saved. That's why you're not truly thankful, and that's why you've never served the Lord. And I pray that you would. I pray you would be saved and you would turn. You see, the Apostle Paul recognized that his life was no longer important, but it's Christ that was important. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I live by faith in the God who gave himself for me who loved me so much that he gave his life for me. Turn to Acts chapter 20. We see the mindset of someone who's come to faith and is living a life poured out, poured out, spent, spent for Christ. Acts chapter 20, it's right after the Gospels. Acts 20, the Apostle Paul was given information by the Spirit of God that suffering and bonds and afflictions await. And he could have made a choice there. Hmm, do I want to save my skin or not? And we see his attitude. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account dear to myself. There's the key. In order that I might finish my course and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the grace of God. We have each been given ministries in a sense. We've each been given tasks to do in Scripture. We'll see that. We are to, as we come to Christ, offer ourselves up as sacrifices. You see, Paul says, you Philippians, you have your sacrifice and your service, as we're going to see, of faith. And I'm the topping on that. The sacrifice is offering yourself up. The service is actually doing something, as we'll see. We'll see. Turn to Romans chapter 12. 
In the book of Romans, we, Paul makes a great case for the gospel throughout the book of Romans. Man's problem is sin. All are under sin. The solution, justification by faith, being justified, which brings life. And then he, he gives some examples. And he has an interlude. What about Israel? And then he moves into the first application of the truth of the gospel in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Notice what he says. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, hey, you can't do it, you need his mercy, right? To present your bodies as living and a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Present yourself to God. You're that sacrifice on the altar. Present yourself to God. You're the sacrifice. Paul understood that we believers are sacrifices, but sacrifices need to be offered. They need to be offered up. And that's the problem at times. We're not offering ourselves to God. We're offering ourselves to sin. We're not yielding our lives. We are jumping off the altar. But it's only when we yield our lives and offer ourselves willingly, God changes our hearts. And he enables us to do those things. And he gives us true joy. When you are truly yielded to Christ, you're truly doing his will, no matter what's going on, there is joy. There is joy. We've been saved to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2. And indeed, as we offer ourselves up, it's not simply a symbolic mindset in my head, I'm putting myself on the altar. There are actions involved. I'm allowing God's will to change my heart. And I'm acting upon that. Let me give you an example of that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. After talking about forgiving one another and, and, and having a right heart towards one another in the body of Christ, he says this, Paul says this, Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Mimic God as beloved children. And what? Walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant aroma. You see, when you walk in love, you allow God's word to change your heart towards one another. That's a sacrifice to God. You're offering yourself up to him to do his will rather than your will. My will is I'm mad at you because you said something I didn't like. So I grumble and complain. His will is to forgive you and love you. And he enables you to do that. And I offer myself up to him. I change my heart and mind by his word. I think like Christ and walk in love. You see, we need to be offering ourselves as sacrifices all the time in regards to obeying the word of God in relationship to one another. And it is a sacrifice. You've got to die to yourself. Self has to die. That thing needs to be burned up completely because if it isn't, you're not going to offer yourself, all right? We need to offer ourselves up. And when it is spirit-empowered and led by faith, it is a fragrant aroma, just like Christ's. It's a fragrant aroma. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you thought of your personal obedience when you trust the Lord as an offering to the Lord? As a sacrifice. When's the last time you thought of that? Doing his will, being obedient to him as a sacrifice to the Lord. Sometimes there's not many sacrifices going on, is there? But the Lord wants us to continually offer ourselves as living sacrifices, acceptable, acceptable, which is your spiritual service of worship. But not only was Paul a sacrifice, not only were the Philippians and their actions a sacrifice, they also served. They did sacred service. We serve and perform service. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15. The Apostle Paul is a good example of this. He understood his gifting and he served God within that gifting. He served the Lord. Now I offer myself every day, Lord, I want to do your will. But there are things that we do within that as we serve the Lord officially in a sense from his eyes, maybe not from others. Notice what Paul says. Romans fifteen fifteen. But I have written you boldly, written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace of God given me from the grace that was given me from God. 
And what was that grace that God gave him to do? To be a minister of Christ Jesus. Now that word we're going to see was where we get our word liturgy. It speaks of sacred service. To perform sacred service for Christ. To the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God's called me to preach, Paul's saying, that's his gifting, he's an apostle, to preach the word of God to the Gentiles. And that was this wonderful sacrifice, this ministry, the sacred ministry. And each one of us has been given a gift. Each one of us has a sacred ministry before the Lord. It's not simply your offering every day. It's what God has gifted you to do in the body of Christ. And he shares that in his word. Now the, now the word back in our passage where we see that he is, a, he is an offering on top of the sacrifice and then their service. That's our word, liturgio. It basically speaks of, of, of sacred service. Sacred service. Paul was sold out to serve Christ and so were the Philippians. And Paul, inspired by the Spirit, understood that our serving, not only do we offer a sacrifice, but we minister as servants. We minister as servants. We need a right mindset. We're serving God. Just like those priests ministered in the Old Testament. They they did what God said. We do what God says in in regards to the body of Christ. In regards to offering ourselves as sacrifices. You see, Paul understood what his calling was, and he saw it as sacred service. So here in our passage, he relays what's going on back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. But even if, or since I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. So we see here the Apostle Paul is ministering with the Philippians. He wasn't a lone ranger Christian. He saw his sacrifice, his, 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 his being poured out in conjunction with their sacrifice and service. There was a unity and union of the serving within the Philippians. They served together. They served together. He wasn't a lone ranger Christian or missionary. He served in the context of the body of Christ. We talk about Paul's missionary journeys. He served in the body of Christ and with the body of Christ as he went. Although he was apostle, he saw his serving with. Notice back in verse chapter 1, verse 7. Notice what he says. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. What about chapter 1, verse 30? Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. What about chapter 2, 25? He speaks of Epaphroditus, the one that the Philippians sent to help him. Okay? But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. They worked together. They ministered together. They ministered to each other. What about the two ladies who had a little conflict in chapter 4, verse 3? Take a look at that. Chapter 4, verse 3. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. They didn't share their struggle in the cause of, of, of life. In the cause of the calling of the gospel, the word getting out and life being changed through Jesus Christ. They shared a struggle together with Clement and also and the rest of my what? Fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I'm just the, the pouring out on the top. We're, this is the same sacrifice. We're doing this together. But it's your sacrifice and service unto the Lord. And I'm just the top part of that, that last bit. What about in the end of the book? We see Paul shares his, his affection for the Philippians. Look at verse 14 in chapter 4. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. They shared finances. They served him financially, by the way. And you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. He said, for even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which it increases to your account. 
But I have received everything in full and have an abundance and am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. They sacrificed in serving him. They sacrificed in providing for him. They were sacrificing together for the cause of the gospel. Paul was not a lone ranger Christian. They ministered together. So back in our chapter, notice he says back in chapter 2, verse 17, but if I'm being poured out as a drink offering, since I am, upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, of your faith, Paul had a life that was poured out. It was a life poured out. He did God's will in the context of sacrifice and serving Christ. And he did it with other believers. Are you doing that? Are you, do you have a life well spent? Are you doing that? You see, we have rebels in the church these days, not offering themselves to Christ, offering, offering themselves to sin, not serving in the context of what God has called them to do. Now, God's the one that sees that mainly. We're not pointing people out. But Paul wasn't that way. He wasn't that way. You see, each one of us has received gifts. We're all to offer ourselves up. And it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice. And someday, I pray that when it gets to the end, it'll be like that cup pouring out where it's that final sacrifice. We've been faithful and fought the good fight and poof, it's up and we're in the Lord's presence. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I desire for you. You need to give up your will to serve the Lord. And guess what? Your will holds on pretty tight. You've got to repent, and God will set you free. You see, Jesus said that uh, when you sin, you become a slave to sin. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And that's certainly true for salvation, but that's true for our walk with him. Trust him, let him set you free, and then offer yourself to him. Spend your life well. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, And I most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you the more, am I to be loved less? He loved them. And he was spent for the body of Christ. Now, before we move on and look at the results of someone who's spent their life for Christ, the joy that comes from that, even in the midst of great difficulty, I want you to notice one little point here that we need to point out first. Look at our passage back in chapter 2, verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of what? Your faith. We never offer ourselves up without trusting the Lord and obeying his word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. We don't do his will and his work apart from trusting in Jesus Christ. You can offer yourself up all you want, and a lot of people do that. But if it isn't by faith, truly walking with Jesus Christ, depending on him, it is not a true acceptable sacrifice. It's worthless. It's stinky. It's not a pleasant aroma. It's by faith. The sacrifice and service of your faith. You see, as I mentioned, faith works. Faith's going to work. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. We're to work it out by allowing God to change my mind towards you, seeing you more as important than myself, and trusting him to enable me to obey his word towards you. Seeing God is more important. Turn to James chapter 2. Here we see that James confronts uh, phony saving faith. You see, some people say, I've got faith in Jesus. I've been saved. And James shares, well, from the fruit of that faith, is that faith really going to save you? That's the implication. Is it really saving faith? Is that truly genuine faith that's being manifest? James chapter 2, verse 14. And now James has confronted the sinful partiality of those not walking in love according to the royal law, those who, are go- who will be judged by the law of liberty, those who are to so speak and act. He's addressing their partiality, their lack of mercy and love, and those who may not know the Lord because they, they, don't, they don't act as they should, as we'll see. And then he has this statement then in James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, 
If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? If that faith isn't producing a changed life, is that saving faith? And he gives an example of true saving faith. He gives some illustrations. Let me share those in verse uh, 15. If a brother and sister go without clothing and need of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, that's a Jewish way of saying something spiritual. The Lord will take care of you, whatever it might be, you know. And he says there, be warmed, and yet you do not give him what is necessary. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead. So there's no love in that. There's no love for someone in need. Genuine need. Not talking about needs we have these days around here, but genuine needs, food and clothing. But if someone will say, you have faith, and I have works, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Yeah, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. He's saying just just a, a knowledge of things isn't faith. Isn't true saving faith. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It's not a true genuine faith. That's his point. Now notice the example he gives. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now he's not going he's going to explain this. When he offered up Isaac his son on the altar. Do you remember God called Abraham? Abraham, Abraham, Genesis twenty two. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, the son of whom you love, and offer him a sacrifice where I'll show you. He obeyed. He obeyed. His faith worked out. He believed the Lord. He even believed that God could raise him from the dead. I and the lad, we will worship and return to you, he said to his servants. He had faith. And notice what it says. Was not Abraham justified by works when he offered up Isaac and his son on the altar? You see, that faith, now he's going to explain, was working with his works. As a result, the works of, of the works, the faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend, the friend of God. The reality is, and then you have an illustration of Rahab, and an illustration of the, the reality that the faith without works is just like the body without the spirit, faith without works is dead. You say you have faith in Jesus, but you're not obeying Jesus. That faith is dead. Faith's dead. But these Philippians weren't dead. They were in Christ. They were true believers. Just as you have always obeyed, keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's going to work. The sacrifice and service of your faith. But yet, as you and I know, we can be dulled by sin. We can get caught up in sin and our, our faith is, is, our faith wavers. And we become prisoners to that sin. We need to confess and yield our hearts completely to Christ to spend our lives for him. Verse 17, back in Philippians chapter chapter 2. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Even if this is the the end here, but he knows it's not, even if this is the, the, the finishing touch on what you're doing, the finishing touch, even if that's it, And it is. I rejoice. I rejoice, he says. Paul is chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And he rejoices in what God is doing through the Philippians and him together for the ministry. He rejoices. He says, I rejoice and share with you all. As I mentioned, he's he's chained up. He's chained up to a Roman guard. And he shared that he's suffering. He shared back in chapter 1 that God has granted for them to suffer also, for Christ's sake, just as he has suffered. He's suffering. But he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. When your walk is right with the Lord, there's joy. When it's not, there isn't. That's the reality. But it's not happiness like the world. It's biblical joy. Let's take a look at some verses about joy and we'll finish up. Turn to Psalm 1, Psalm 16, verse 11. You see, joy is summed up in the person of Christ and what he has done for us. 
It's summed up in a real relationship with Jesus. And when you're walking with him, obeying him, offering yourself up and serving him, there's joy. There's joy no matter what's going on. No matter what's going on. Psalm 16, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. As full as it gets. In thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Nehemiah 8.10, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Go back to Psalm 5, Psalm 5, verse 11. I'm not saying we don't weep as believers and mourn over things that come across our lives, but within that there's still joy. There's still joy. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in who? In thee be glad. That means your trust in Jesus. He's your strength. He's your refuge. Be glad. Let them what? Ever sing for joy. That's why we sing here. I didn't want to sing before Christ got my life, but I do now. I hope you do too. And thou mayest shelter them, that, that those who love thy name may exult in thee. For it is thou who dost bless the righteous man, O Lord, and dost surround him with favor as a shield. Look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Psalm of David, a masculine. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity in his spirit. There is no deceit. You're blessed if you're forgiven in Jesus. Then look down at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who, what, trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. And here's what we should do because of that. Because that's truth. That's the truth. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Salvation should bring you joy. God's watching over you should bring you joy. And if it's not, you're not seeing him rightly. Look at Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send thy light and thy truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And upon the lyre I shall praise thee, O God, my God. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips shall shout for joy when I sing praises to thee. God knows if that was happening today when we were singing, huh? Right? And my soul, which thou hast redeemed. One last one, Psalm 95. O come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come in his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. He's a great God and he saved you. He saved you. But what steals joy? Sin. I'm not going to read it, but Psalm 51. David sinned and he was confronted. And when he repented, he said, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Joy and holiness are inseparable. When we're walking with the Lord, there's going to be joy. When we're sinning, it's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. You see, God is so gracious. Joy is summed up in the person of Christ and what he has done for us. And when we walk away from him in sin, joy is lost. Indeed, is not the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of God takes the word of God and works it in our hearts, right? The fruit of that working in me is love, joy. When God's word is working in my heart towards all my circumstances and all my situations, and I'm giving myself to him, it's changing me. There's joy, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. You see that? Paul spent his life, he gave it up for Christ. And in the midst of deep suffering, he could rejoice. We see it in other passages. Count it all joy, James 1, various trials you encounter. Knowing what God is doing. He's proving your faith and he's making you like Christ. As Bob read in 1 Peter, we're to, we're to rejoice when we're suffering because God's proving our faith. He's proving us genuine. 
And if he would allow that to happen to the household of God, how much to those, to the wicked, godless man and sinner? He's testing us like, like, like metals being tested in fire, that he would be greatly exalted in that day. He would be glorified and we would rejoice with joy inexpressible. Jesus said, when we suffer for him, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. And so Paul says here, but even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. I rejoice. And notice what he says. And I share my joy with you all. You know one of the problems in the body of Christ? That doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, isn't it wonderful? When someone is truly following Christ and they're truly joyful because of him, not some phony baloney, worked up joy, but truly because of their relationship is right with Jesus and God is working in their lives no matter what's going on and they share that joy with you. Look at what Christ is doing. He says, I share this joy with you. I share it with you. We've got a lot of people sharing their complaints and their problems because they're not willing to humbly submit to Christ and confess their sin and get right with him. I'm not talking about prayer requests for difficulties. I'm talking about complaining and grumbling rather than joy. He says, I rejoice and I share my joy with you. Isn't that wonderful? Someone shares the joy of what Christ has done. It's wonderful. There needs to be more of that being done. And guess what? He admonishes the Philippians to do so and us also. Look at verse 18. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. I urge you, it's not in the original text. You could translate it this way. And you also rejoice in this. You also rejoice. It's the command. You rejoice in what God is doing through the sacrifice and service of your faith as we work together for his glory, which won't be in vain, by the way. You rejoice. Rejoice in this. Rejoice in what God is doing through Jesus Christ. Rejoice. And notice what he says. And then he says, and share your joy with me. Let me hear about it. Let me hear about it. We need to share our joy with one another. Not phony, baloney, hypocritical, false, pharisaical joy, but what Christ is really doing, what he's doing through yielded, spent lives. In the midst, and there's going to be difficulty. When you've given up your life to serve Christ, there's going to be difficulty. Yet share, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and share your joy with one another. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way. It's actually, I command you basically, that's what it is. And share your joy with me. So then we've seen Paul's example of faith to follow. A life completely spent. And it's in the context of obedience, working at your salvation with fear and trembling, working with believers, serving Christ in the gifting that you have, offering yourself up as a sacrifice, spending your life for him, for him. Paul was sold out to do his will, desiring to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being formed to his death. What about you? What about you? What are you spending your life on? What are you spending your life on? What's your ultimate yield? Are you yielded in your heart to Christ? Are you offering yourself day in and day out? Are you, are you willing to do as well, serve him? What are you spending your life on? From Paul's example, we see the mind of Christ of a life well spent. Christ was perfect. Paul's was well spent. And it would bring glory to God. At the end of his life, he said, I have fought the faith I fought the fight. I finished the race. The good fight of faith he finished. What about you? Jesus gives a parable and he says about those stewards, he says to the ones that did the right thing, he said, well done, that good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the example of your servant, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you for the example of the Philippians who offered themselves to you 
They trusted you. In the context of faith, they, they, they sacrificially served you. Lord, may you work in the hearts of each and every one of us here. May today be the day that those who are half-hearted become full, full, fully devoted to you. The way it was when they first came to faith. Whatever you want, Jesus. Whatever you want, I'll do it. I pray for that. And I pray we would trust you. And we would work out your, what you're working in. We would obey you. In Jesus' name.